Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Apalachicola. We pray that these messages challenge and encourage you. Now let's get into the Word together. telling you, I'm already happy. <laughs> and by the way, I do believe we have a makings of our quartet coming up soon. Uh, Brother Greg, that sounded pretty good uh, basing there. <laughs> All right. Would you please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke chapter 7. We're going to be reading this morning from Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. Verses 36 through 50. The title of today's message is, Love Much. Love Much. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. And when you have the word with you, would you please stand for his reading. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know what, who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to pay to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who 
who is this that even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Father God, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you will bless this reading, Father, as you will bless this position of it, Father, through this your servant. I thank you, Father, for this morning. I thank you, Father, for the blessedness that we can have a talk with Jesus. And I will make it right. I pray, Father, that whatever is burdening us today, whatever problem, whatever ails, whatever bondage, I pray that you will bring your freedom, your love, your forgiveness, your salvation to it, your mighty deliverance and power, and that you will make it right. I pray for those who are unable to come here today, Father, and for those who are homebound. I pray that you will be with them and that you will manifest your presence in their lives as I pray that you will continue ministering to the families who have lost a loved one recently that have gone to be with you. We thank you for the blessed hope. We thank you, Father, for the ability to know your will and to stand fast in your word, Father, and in the power of your spirit. May he be our teacher this morning. May he open our minds and hearts to receive that word. And I pray, Father, that you will magnify the name of Jesus above all. We thank you. We praise you for it. To you, O Lord, be the honor, the glory forever and ever. As I ask all of this in that blessed, holy, eternal name of Jesus. And the people of God say, Amen. Please be seated. A burglar broke into a house one day. As he was stealing the valuables, he heard a voice out of the darkness that said, Jesus is watching you. He almost choked. He stopped and looked around and then he shook off his fear and went on stealing some more. Suddenly, just as before, the voice came and said again, Jesus is watching you. He was trembling so bad, he could hardly contain any composure. He finally approached the corner of the room and there was a birdcage with a cover over it. The words came from the cage, Jesus is watching you. The thief pulled off the cover and saw Carrick. He said with an angry voice, What is your name? The player replied, Moses. The thief replied, What kind of a weird person would name a parrot Moses? The parrot replied, The same kind of weird person that would name a Rottweiler Jesus. Praise God. And this brings me to this passage. And as I've been covering for several weeks now, I've been covering encounters that Jesus has had throughout the Gospels with different people. Today we come to another one. 
In this case, it is a powerful depiction of the forgiveness of God and the ability to save someone, even from their deepest of sin, and bring them unto salvation. In this passage, we will see three images of three persons. Beginning in the first image, we will see that the first image is none other than a person that has a problem. But before we get to that, let's read it again. And Joseph went to the house of a Pharisee who had asked him to eat. Verse 36. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house. And the first thing I want you to see with me is that the woman who was a sinner describes none other than the person that needs God. A person that needs God. Now all of us need God. Because all of us have fallen and come short of the glory of God. But the person that needs God is the person who recognizes the need for God. And there's a big difference. In this woman, we read that she was a sinner. It doesn't tell us what kind of sinner she was. But we can imagine the worst of says that she, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house. And it's important that a person recognizes their need. Well, apparently, chronologically speaking, as we follow Harmony of the Gospels, immediately preceding this event, this invitation of this woman, to this, of Jesus to come meet this woman in the Pharisee's house, Jesus had proclaimed the following words that you will see in the screen. In Matthew 11, 28-30, He said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The woman had heard these words. Apparently, because she, when she heard that Jesus was in this man's house, and by the way, it was not easy for her to come into a Pharisee's house. Pharisees, the most legalistic of people at the time, when Jesus walked this earth, were full of self-righteousness and of rules and regulations. And the last thing they wanted is some sinful woman to come even close to their house. So this was not plan. But let's see a little more about this woman. It says that the Bible tells us she was a sinner. We can imagine what kind of sin she had, whether she was an adulteress, a prostitute, just a, a sinful woman. Or maybe she was married to a sinful man and by default she was a sinner. But she was definitely not welcome at this invitation. But the thing about this woman that we must all recognize is that she had recognized her need for God. She was a person that needed God and recognized it. Because God cannot help you unless you recognize that you need His help. And this woman, when she heard that Jesus was at the table in the Pharisee's house, it says that she brought an alabaster flash of fragrant oil. This was a very precious possession. 
This was not like uh, something you get at CVS or Walgreens. This was a precious ointment that had precious perfume. It was literally worth thousands, thousands of dollars in today's currency exchange. And the Bible tells us that she stood at his feet behind him weeping. This describes two things about this person. The first of all, I want you to see is that a person that needs God recognizes and needs to submit to God. So she came in submission to the Lord. She came to the one that has said, come to me. Or you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. She came to him. She came seeking his forgiveness. She came seeking his grace. She came seeking his help. The weeping that the word describes here in the Greek is not just a cry, cry. Like when we cry and shed a tear here and there. It was literally the same type of weeping that you have when someone dies. It was sobbing. It was mercy. It wasn't crying. The way people ate at this time is they would usually eat outside the house in a courtyard. And especially in a Pharisee's house, wealthy, as they usually were. They had plenty of room out there. They had set a very low table. And the guests will recline on a couch or cushion and with their left elbow recline on the table and spread their feet up away from the table. So as you see all these people eating in this dinner table, you also see the image of people in the background who weren't invited to the dinner, but they were allowed to watch. They were allowed to observe because the Pharisee, after all, when I show off, right? So let the people stand out there and watch. And we have a crowd of people who weren't even invited to the dinner. And they're all watching and they're all whispering. And look what they're serving now. Look what that's going on now. And look at that. Oh, that guy is, that's Jesus. That's the one they're, they're talking about. And suddenly this woman comes, stands right behind him. And begins sobbing. This is a description of contrition. This is a description of submission to God. After you recognize that you need God, you need to submit to Him. You need to come to Him with brokenness. Recognizing your need. And this is a description of humility. For the person that needs God needs to recognize the humility that comes by coming to God. Jesus himself gave us a great image of humility. Being God himself in the flesh. Look at the Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8. Look what it describes here. It says, let this man be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God. Watch this now. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. In Jesus, Father, important to have a humble attitude. How much more so a person that needs God 
We need to have humble attitude as we approach God. We need to recognize that we need Him more than He needs us. God doesn't need anything. God desires us to come to Him and worship Him, discover His grace, His goodness, His mercy. But we must do so with humility. In Micah 6.8, it says that He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the world require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and watch this, and to walk humbly with your God. To walk humbly with our God. This woman was showing humility. Look at verse 37 again. After she stood weeping and sobbing, it says that she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. She was crying so much that she was able to wash his feet. And then she did a very unseemly thing, culturally speaking, of that time frame. She loosened her hair. Oh, that was a big moment. A married woman was only allowed to loosen her hair in front of her husband in private. Women could not go out in that era with her hair loose like that. So she kind of like totally forgot about everything. She forgot about all the rules and regulations. She just said, I need to worship Jesus. And she loosened her hair and began to wipe the tears of his feet. Better image of humility have not seen. In Psalm 149, verse 4, the second part of the verse says, He will not beautify the humble with salvation. He will beautify the humble with salvation. So as you submit to God, as you humbly come before Him, recognizing your need, He's going to beautify you. He is going to show blessings upon you. From salvation to all kinds of spiritual blessings. Because of your recognition of his Godhead. Of his awesomeness. In James 4.10. Likewise it says. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And God will lift us up. It is important for us to learn humility. Before God. Because when we come to Him, we got to believe that He is and that He is a reward of those who diligently seek Him. But we got to come with the right attitude. James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God doesn't like those who are proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And this woman is about to experience the grace of God. But not only is a person that needs God, must submit to God, but must also love God. Look at verse 38 again. And after she began wiping the tears from his feet, last part of the verse says, And she kissed his feet and anointed them with a fragrant oil. She kissed his feet. The word kissed here. It's not this. It's not a little peck like that. No. She was kissing continuously his feet. She was caressing them in a pure way, by the way. 
And then she anointed them with this precious, very expensive ointment. We can see love for him. We can see how much he had come to love him. Because when God delivers you of your sins, you immediately recognize his goodness, his grace, his awesomeness, and you begin to love God. For we must love the Lord. We must love God. Jesus himself taught us this. In the Old Testament, we read in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 10, verse 12, says, And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and watch this, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So from the beginning, God has been teaching humanity to love him. Because when we recognize that we need him, and as we come in submission to him, and we begin to experience his goodness, his grace, his forgiveness, we begin to have love towards him. And that love is evident. And that love is not secret. We don't hide it. You can't hide love. You show love. Love is an action word. How many times have husbands heard that from their wives? Amen? Can I hear an amen? amen? Love is an action word. Jesus said the following, Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 31. Jesus answered him and said, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Notice what God did here. He combined love for God to love for a fellow man. Amen? Amen? You can't say you love God if you don't love those that you can see. That's what the Bible teaches us. And this woman had experience for the first time true love. Godly love. The love that comes from the Spirit of God. The love that comes from the throne of God. God gave us love so we can love Him. And we can experience His goodness and grace. And love Him so more. This is my prayer unto the Lord. That we will humble ourselves before God individually and corporately that we will love him with all our heart and that we will love one another likewise Amen. this is something that we should strive for Amen. because as we recognize that we need God we need those two things we need submission before God and we need to love God with all our hearts Amen, Amen. and not only do we see this image of this contrite, humble, lost sinner who was experiencing salvation for the first time. But we also see the image of another person. And the image of the other person is very different. For this is the image of the person that plays with God. 
The person, yes, there is such a person that plays with God. Do the whip with me. Verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, this is what the woman had just done, and was still doing, by the way. She was still there. She was still wiping the tears from Jesus' feet. And then she was anointing his feet, kissing him continuously. When he saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, and you can just imagine the little sarcasm there. This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Self-righteous Pharisee. But you see, the person that plays with God is in serious trouble. Because the person that plays with God doubts God. It is no other way to describe it. A person who plays with God is a doubting Thomas. It's a person who doubts God and doubts God's word. This Pharisee had all the prophecies of the Old Testament that had prophesied that there was a Messiah coming. In the screen you will see three of them. The first one is Daniel 9.25 which describes the time of the birth of Jesus Christ. As the people of Israel had been exiled to Babylon, God gave a prophecy to Daniel. And, Daniel, and God told him, when Jerusalem begins to be reconstructed, rebuilt, know that the countdown begins. And there's going to be literally 483 years before Messiah shows up in Jerusalem. To the day, 483 years. The walls of Jerusalem were began to be rebuilt during the time of Nehemiah, over a hundred years after the death of Daniel. The king of Artaxerxes was the one who said, let the command go forth. And Jesus showed up in Jerusalem in the temple at exactly the time frame that the Bible had forecast in the book of Daniel. The Pharisee knew that, totally ignored it. In Malachi 3.1, the Bible had forecasted that God was going to send a forerunner before Jesus. In the spirit of Elijah, that was none other than John the Baptist, who actually looked like Elijah because he wore camel's hair skin, the big little belt, just like Elijah, and ate what? Lucas with honey, just like Elijah. How could they miss it? He doubted the word of God. But lastly, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2, he tells us that Jesus was going to have a ministry, was going to go to Galilee and begin there. Begin his ministry. Have a Galilean ministry. And I remember the sarcasm on one of them said, Has anything good come out of Galilee? Come out of that place, that God-forsaken place of the Gentiles. Simon had those prophecies. He had the word of God, yet he chose to doubt it. He chose to ignore it. There were many, many, many other evidences that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't invite Jesus because he believed in Jesus. He invited Jesus because he was looking for a way to accuse him falsely, to slander him, to catch him on something. And lo and behold, this woman shows up. 
Then Pharisees really think, boy, we got him now. We got him now. If this man were a real prophet, he would know what kind of wheel is. Don't you him? The problem with this Pharisee is he was bound by self-righteousness. Bound by self-righteousness. Jesus describes this very same type in Matthew 23, verses 27 and 28, where he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is a self-righteous person. They look at everybody's fault except their own. They're the ones who go around accusing, slandering others, and saying bad things about others, and yet they never look at themselves. What a self-righteous hypocrite. That's what Jesus said. All of them were like that. In Luke chapter 16, verse 15, he also said this, Jesus said, and he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. This is a great picture of what's going on in the world today. What the world believes is high esteem and is lifting up above all is an abomination to God. And we need to come back to reality as believers. We need to realize that self-righteousness is a pit dug by the devil to bring condemnation to a person and to keep him from experiencing the grace and salvation of God. For this Pharisee could not be reached by Jesus as long as he had that self-righteousness in him. The book of Romans chapter 10 verses 3 and 4. Romans 10, 3 and 4 says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. It says that they went about establishing their own righteousness. Jesus condemned them for having laws about everything, including tithe or cumin. Man, I, I love cumin when, with black beans. Could you imagine having to tithe for that? And yet, ignore the weightier matters of the law with justice, mercy. Forgiveness. They were nitpickers. They were nitpicking the word of God and saying, I like this part. I don't like this. See the image today in the world? Oh, God is love. He loves everybody. But yet when it says something like, thus says the Lord. Oh, we don't like that part. We don't like that part. You can't nitpick the word of God. You got to take it in totality as it is. It is a message of God to us. It is his handbook. It is the guide for us to get to him and to discover his person, his power, his grace, his forgiveness, his salvation. You know, at the end of the day, the foundation of self-righteousness is pride. 
It's the same thing that the devil had. The devil said, I will be like God. I will do this. I will do that. It's pride. And self-righteousness has a foundation of pride in it. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, the Bible says pride goes before destruction and a heart is spirit before a fall. So pride is dangerous in the life of a person. It's not like saying, well, I'm proud of this, or I'm proud of that. It's having pride in you that keeps you from coming to God in submission. It keeps you from loving God. That keeps you from letting your hair down like this woman did. Pride will keep you from discovering and experiencing God in your life. I've literally seen people, their knuckles get white like this, grabbing onto the pews during an altar call refusing to heed the voice of the Holy Spirit as it was calling them in their heart to come to Jesus. I've literally seen people do that. That's pride. Psalm 105 verse 5. Psalm 101 verse 5 says, Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. God detests pride and self-righteousness. God cannot work where there is pride and self-righteousness in the life of a person. Pride needs to be kicked out. Pride needs to go the way of the trash bin. It has no place in our lives when it comes to discovering God and His power toward us who believe. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 3 and verse 7, it says, For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And then verse 7, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. This Pharisee had definitely reaped what he had sown. And this is the beauty of it. That even though he was speaking to himself, and he was saying to himself, you know, hey, if these men were a prophet, he's thinking to him, he's not saying that aloud. Remember, he's in a dinner here, that be Jesus right there. Literally did he know, and little do people who think they can play with God know that they can't fool God. Because that's the second thing I want you to see here is that you can't really fool God. God cannot be fooled. God cannot be fooled like a person, another human being can be fooled. You can tell a good story and somebody might believe it. But God knows our hearts. God knows our thoughts. God knows exactly the motivation behind our actions. God cannot be fooled. So there's a beautiful part here. Jesus, verse 40. Look at verse 40. I love this part. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Woo! Boy, I tell you what. I don't want to hear that from the Lord. Be careful what we think. Be careful what motivates us to do things 
You're going to die, might say one day, I have something to say to you. Ooh. You can just see it coming. Here it comes a two by four about to hit Simon in the kitchen. And then he gave him a, a parable. In this parable, he described two, a creditor and two people that had owed him money. It says that one, in verse 44, one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. A denarii was a common day's wage at that time frame. It was a silver coin. 500 denarii is literally over a year and a half worth of pay. It's a lot of money. <laughs> we can live a lot for 500 denarii back then. While the other one only owed 50. Under two months worth. So Jesus says that he couldn't repay. Verse 42. So he freely forgave both of them. The word freely forgave literally means he wanted to forgive. He was desirous to forgive. So he freely forgave. That means he wanted to forgive. And forgave them both. Now Jesus asked the question to Simon. Therefore tell me which of them will love him more? Which of them? Well, Simon wasn't as stupid as he looked. He said, Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who he forgave more. And by the way, you can read the sarcasm in that one and say, I suppose. I suppose the one who he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have rightly judged. And then comes the two by four. Then Jesus turns to the woman. She's still kissing, anointing his feet. She's right there. And he turns to her. And directs his word to Simon. In verse 44 he says, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. It was customary back then to have a servant wash a guest's feet, especially a guest of honor. It was a big faux pas. That's a fancy word for a big, <laughs> a big insult, right? Not to do it. He didn't do it. Back then, people wore sandals. So feet can get right, and then roads weren't paved necessarily. So they could get very filthy with dirt and grime. And Jesus had taken off his sandals because they would take off their sandals at the entrance to the house and walk barefooted to the dinner table. And they were, as if feet went out, you can barely see his dirty feet, soiled by dirt and grime. And with, with her hair, that woman cleaned them. But he said, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And then he said in verse 45, you gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. It was customary to greet a person with a kiss. That's a welcoming gesture. And even today in that part of the world it's still customary. He didn't do that. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I said to you, her sins, which are many. So Jesus wasn't ignoring her sins. Jesus knew. Which are many. Are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Her love did not bring forgiveness. 
The forgiveness of God brought wealth. And that is something to remember. When you experience the forgiveness of God, God sheds His love upon you. And suddenly that love comes out and you love Him more. You can't fool God. The Lord gave us a great example of this in Acts chapter 5 with a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And this couple, as it was the custom back then, as a first century church was beginning to develop into a church, they, were, they started selling all their possessions and started bringing it to the feet of the apostles so they could distribute among the needs of the people. But Ananias and Sapphira, as we read in verse 1 and 2, but a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, saw the possession, he kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part of it, laid it at the apostle feet. So they kept a portion and lie about did they bring everything. Then we read again in verses 3 and 5. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. Can't fool God. God knows everything. God knows our thoughts and our hearts. God knew what Ananias and Sapphira had done. God sees everything. In Luke chapter 8, verse 17, Luke 8, 17 says, For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Nothing is secret. Did you know that? It's going to come to light. If God doesn't bring holiness and purity and godliness in, into our hearts, if that doesn't motivate us to be a holy people unto God, in First Chronicles chapter twenty-eight, verse nine, First Chronicles twenty-eight, nine, last part of the verse says, "For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intents and thoughts." Simon could have known that. He had that scripture in his time. He had already been written. Totally forgot about it. If this man were a prophet, he would know that. Can't fool God. Jesus knew exactly what he was thinking. And before he finished thinking it, Jesus, boom, said, I have something to say to you. David declared it well. By the way, in Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8. Psalm 139, 7 and 8, where he said, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I free, flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. There is no place in this universe that God is not there. And there is nothing that God cannot see, nor hear, nor perceive, nor understand, even in our own hearts. In your own mind. 
There's no secret. Can't fool God. And just a word of warning to us of us who have come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. In 2 Corinthians 5, 10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Notice it says, judgment seat. That's not about our salvation, whether we get to stay or not. That's about our rewards. To see whether we're going to be rewarded for anything or not. That each one, continues, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That each will receive according to what he has done in the body. That means while we're here. While we're waiting for the rapture to come. Or while we're waiting for God to call us home. We can't fool God. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That ought to bring holiness and fear and godly fear into the heart of every one of us. Amen. Godliness. We're not like the world. The Bible says, not in the screen, but the Bible says, for judgment must begin at the house of God. Before the great white throne judgment, judgment is going to come in that judgment seat of Christ. It's called the Bema seat. And we all want to stand there all by ourselves, one at a time, before Jesus. We're not going to be able to hide from Him because He knows everything. Like He knew at this time. But the last image that I want you to see with me is the most beautiful of them all. As a beautiful image of that sinful woman in contrition, in humility, in submission to God, demonstrating love for her Savior and Lord, now we see the most beautiful image of all, and it is literally the Savior that is God. The Savior that is God. For only God can forgive our sins. Only God can save our souls. And Jesus is certainly God in the flesh. God, Jesus, took the form of a man and dwelt among us. And the Bible said we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. There is nothing that God can forgive. There is nothing that God can forgive. Do I hear Amen. There is nothing that the blood of Jesus cannot cover in this world. There is nothing that the blood of Jesus cannot change from darkness to light. Verse 48. Said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The most beautiful declaration of this woman could ever hear. Whatever her past was gone. Whatever her reputation, maybe in the eyes of others might continue, but in the eyes of God was gone. She had a new start. She had a new beginning. The moment you're forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a new beginning. There everything has passed. Everything has become new. By the way, the word forgive in the Greek literally means to remit. Ooh, to erase. Ooh, that's what forgive means. Because when God forgives, He forgets. When God brings that blood of Jesus Christ and He covers all your sins, there's nothing left. There's nothing.
nothing left to teach you. There's nothing left to condemn you before him. It is all gone. And this woman who had brokenness, contrition, remorse, repentance in her heart was able to receive forgiveness. Everything had changed. In Micah chapter 7 verses 18 and 19. He says, God, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of the heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. God forgives and God forgets. There is nothing that will hold you will hold over you as a dark cloud of condemnation. You've been free from that by the blood of Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, there is a beautiful picture of the redemption and the forgiveness that God brings to him. He says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, your, your sins are like scarlet. They shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You can just see it. When a person is forgiven of God, that person no longer has any sin before God. God doesn't see the sin anymore. God sees a person that has been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. That person has been free, has been set free, has been forgiven. That person has been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And that ought to bring joy to all our hearts. For we have been forgiven. If you have called upon Jesus, and like this woman, you have come with whatever baggage you, where you bring. And some people bring a little, some bring a lot. But the important thing is you bring what you have. And you bring it at the foot of the cross. And you come in repentance and submission of him. And you accept his saving sacrifice for you. That blood of Christ will wash you clean. And no longer will there be any condemnation before God of you. You can come now bold into the throne of grace. Into the holy of holies. You come in Jesus name. Because you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. That's your entrance. That's your pass. That's your ticket. It's the blood of Jesus. That has washed you clean. Isaiah 55 7. Says let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. He will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Amen for that. Praise God. I love the fact that God will abundantly pardon. He's not, he doesn't pardon a little bit here, a little bit there. When you come to him and you bring him your baggage, your sins, God pardons. God forgives and God forgets. You've been washed by the blood of Jesus. But Jesus wasn't done. And by the way, they... The people there had a cow. And verse 49 says, Those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sin? Who is this? Because they knew better. than only God can forgive sin. Only God can forgive our sins. Only God. Don't go to a man and ask him to pray for you for forgiveness. Go to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can forgive you. And lastly, I can continue on this one, but I'm, I'm going to pass. Lastly, the last thing I want you to see, the Savior is God. Not only is He forgive, but He saves. Yes. 
He saves. He saves like no one can save. He looked at this woman again and said to her, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now we've heard this before. Notice that he didn't say, Your love for me. You're washing me, your service of me. He said, What? Your faith. Your faith in him. She has put her faith in Christ. When she came sobbing, when she came doing all those things, she said, I am grabbing a hold of the Messiah. I am grabbing a hold of the only one that can forgive my sins, Jesus Christ. So Jesus said, your faith has saved you. That's what saves us, it's our faith. Faith in Christ. Go in peace. And this is just like I said last week. Go in my peace. Come into my peace. Because the moment you're saved, you come into the peace of Jesus Christ. You can go through any storm in this world, any trial, any tribulation. You can have peace in the midst of that storm because that's what salvation brings to us. It brings us the peace of Christ. In John chapter 17, verse 3, John 17, 3, Jesus said, And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is found in Jesus Christ and Him only. Eternal life is found only in Christ. Salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. It is not in a belief in a church. It is not belief in a denomination, in a religion, in a belief system apart from what the Bible says. Only in Jesus Christ are we saved. There is no other name given to us under heaven among men through Jesus Christ himself. He is the only one that can bring salvation to us. In 1 John chapter 3 verse 1. 1 John 3 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Oh yes he has. That we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. The love that God has bestowed on us is none other than His only begotten Son when He went to that cross. Look at the love that God had for us. Look at the love that God has for you. That He sent His only begotten Son to suffer. To have His body broken. marred In that ugly cross. That became beautiful because of salvation. Where he shed his precious blood. That's the love that God has bestowed upon us. And the last verse I'm going to share this morning. John chapter 5 verse 24. Where Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you. And most assuredly by the way means this is a fact. Alright. You can count on it. You can take it to the bank. He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death unto life. This sinful woman that we read about surely heard his word, heard the word of God and even though she was a sinner there was enough in there of the word of God for her to realize because she wasn't bound by self-righteousness and pride said, hey, you know what? This is the Messiah. Everything he was doing with the Messiah, the Bible says, the Old Testament scripture said, Messiah was going to do. And she came.
to him as we must all come to him for salvation. The Savior that is God one day will judge us. The Savior that is God one day will be before us. What would your answer be? What would your response be to him that day? Because it will surely come. Is it going to be to you a Savior Lord? And he's going to say, welcome into the kingdom. Good and faithful servant. Or is he going to say, depart from me, you that work iniquity? I pray there is a first good and faithful servant. Would you please bow your heads with me? And as we ponder these words that the Lord has given us today, I pray that your Holy, the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart will allow you to see your state before God today. If there is anything that you need to confess before Him, then do so during this time of prayer. If there is anything that you need to respond to that the Lord is calling you to do, would you please do so during this time of prayer and during a song of invitation. Father God, in Jesus' name, Lord, I thank you, Father.